0: Hello everyone. Welcome to the 13th episode of the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we look back at developments in pharmacy over the past seven days or more. So it's definitely going to be unlucky for someone. Probably me, actually. I've just cut my knee open walking into my piano stool, which seems a very middle-class first world problem. Anyway, my name is Richard Thomas. I'm the accident-prone editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Joining me on the pod this week is Rob Darragott, editor of P3 Pharmacy Magazine. Neil Trainus, Editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and I'm delighted to welcome for the first time Helena Beer, Editor of Training Matters, our title for pharmacy support staff. So Helena, good to have you on board this week. What's the coronavirus crisis been like for you?
1: um well it's good to join you finally um it's certainly been um a busy few months um so as lockdown started tm 's annual projects were completely fully underway, so it's been a juggling act of epic proportions um getting the twenty twenty version of the infant feeding guide published in print and online. Um, I've been reorganising the Recognition of Excellence Awards since it became very clear that an awards ceremony on the 30th of June wasn't going to be possible. Um, And then pushing forwards with TM each month as well, trying to find the right balance of content to make it COVID-19 relevant, but also offer our key monthly content to our usual standards um, as well. Um, and all that while getting used to a new working setup from home in an office that turns into a greenhouse as soon as the sun comes out. Um, it's over thirty degrees outside today, and I can honestly say that I'm sat in a furnace. I'm not the most comfortable I've ever been, but um, we, we'd learn to learn to cope. Yeah, in terms of lockdown. Um, It's been a positive experience in a way, Um, from a personal perspective, being able to kind of take time out and step back from the London rat race, uh, take stock of everything. Um, No drastic changes, but I definitely feel calmer now than I did um, a few months ago. I think it's easy to let everything from work and home life, relationships, family and and everything like that to get on top of you. Um, But just taking that time to step back, I think is really helpful. Um, and it might not be the best of circumstances for that to happen with the worry of a global pandemic in the picture as well. Um, but I think we can't have everything. So, yeah, we've just got to to um, yeah, learn to, to take the good things as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I, I would identify with, with all of those things. Um, now, you've been reporting on the amazing work of, of pharmacy support staff throughout the Covid crisis. Just how impressed have you been with, with what you've seen from your readers?
1: Um, beyond impressed, I think. It's been a real eye-opener of a few months, um, I have to say. Um, I think the majority of the support staff I speak to are incredibly humble and I hear the phrase, I'm just doing my job um, more than any other. Um, And I think they don't often realise the extent of the work that they do on a daily basis in supporting their communities. Um, So I spoke to a support staff member who said that two weeks ago, so the middle of June, there or thereabouts, was the first time since February that all of her staff had been able to take their lunch breaks um, and I know that in pharmacy lunch breaks can be a luxury anyway but um, when there's all this additional workload and pressure I think taking a break is even more important so to me that just shows absolute dedication um, thinking of others before themselves and that's really commendable. I think as well community pharmacy staff often don't realise what they're capable of. Um, So many people have had colleagues needing to self-isolate and so their workload has increased. Um, But also I know that there have been lots of cases of managers having to self-isolate, which has meant that other members of the team, often with little or no management experience, have had to step up and take that slack at a time when leadership is just so crucial. Um, and the individuals I've heard about have absolutely flourished so that's just brilliant to hear and I think the pandemic may have opened a lot of people's eyes a little bit more to the breadth of their abilities as well their resilience and their strength um, or I hope so at least Um, and I hope there's a bit more confidence and drive from pharmacy teams going forwards because they just have so much to offer. From a customer perspective um, there's obviously been reports of a lot of Kind of abuse and backlash from customers but i think those cases have generally been from a minority of customers and the majority have been very grateful um, there have been so many messages of thanks from from customers and patients lots of thank you cards and presents for pharmacy support staff which i think is always lovely for people to know their work is appreciated um, And yeah, finally, I think there's also been a vast array of different queries coming from customers as well. Um, I've heard from two support staff, one in London and one in Scotland, um, who have had customers coming in to buy mouthwash to use to sanitise their hands, which I think possibly shows that the messaging from government and from others as well might have been... Um, not so clear um, but also I guess it's an interesting insight into the extent of the panic that's been experienced um, and people's attempts at being resourceful when faced with shortages. Um, suffice to say that the two individuals were recommended other less um, less sticky alternatives in the form of soap so um, all was well in the end with those two.
0: Yeah uh, I think the resourcefulness and the resilience of, of- Pharmacy teams has been extraordinary, very much the uh, the unsung heroes of this crisis. And I've loved reading your stuff, actually. There's been so many inspiring stories by pharmacy teams out there. Um, it's been brilliant and they, they deserve all the applaud. All the it's really so. So well done on that age. So on the pod this week, as usual, we have Good Week, Bad Week and another of our pharmacists on the front line interviews, where I talked to Stuart Gale, owner of a small group of pharmacies in Oxfordshire, who tells us about his experiences of the Covid crisis and the price that his business has had to pay. So before we do Good Week, Bad Week, a quick roundup of the news. Uh, the RPS held its AGM yesterday. Up to 128 members zoomed into proceedings, uh, which probably tripled at the usual attendance. Now, the society has had, in the eyes of many, quite a good Covid crisis, but it's been a, a difficult year for our professional body if its financial results are anything to go by. Revenues were up, but it posted a second yearly deficit in a row. Membership revenue was down, expenditure and wages up. And after some financial jiggery-pokery, shall we call it, and various adjustments, including the, lease of, uh, the release of provisions, etc. Uh, it did arrive at a, a final surplus of 132,000. So COVID has left its mark on the society, uh, as it has on many businesses, but with some fresh new blood elected to the Assembly, let's hope for, for better times ahead then everyone has been absorbing the potential ramifications of the Wright review into contractor representation and support. Uh, the publication of which we broke on last week's pod, which included an interview with the report's author, Professor David Wright, the University of East Anglia. Um, now, our pod listener figures went through the roof last week. All kinds of, of records were set in terms of people accessing the pod on our various digital platforms to find out what the good professor had to say. So this is an issue which clearly matters uh, to people. And I'm just going to read out some of the comments we received on Twitter after the pod came out. We, we, we received a load, actually. But here are just some. Uh, great interview with David Wright. Uh, good to hear the background, the strengthening of governance and competences, and the one voice ambition. Another comment, great podcast, listen to it on my long drive home, lots of decent suggestions. Um, I am concerned about representation of independence however, I've often wondered why grassroots are the last to hear about new services. Surely if it works well and can be quickly replicated it would be the grassroots leading up. Uh, Another comment, great podcast, listen to it in my garden. Agree with the recommendations, pharmacy needs a new PSNC, refreshed LPC governance and accountability and Finally, a more negative reaction, I suppose. I'm sceptical about the proposed solutions. I'm not sure they're workable or progressive. I don't believe that LPCs are the right foundation on which to build a a representative system. So, well, the debate has started, hasn't it? Uh, Lots of comments uh, there and others that I haven't had time to read out. So, Rob, you've been following this story very closely for us. Early days, of course, but what have you been picking up on the ground
2: yeah, Richard, hi. Um, early days indeed. Uh, clearly some concerns around and about the place, uh, but I think also quite a lot of people who have recognised that there needs to be some kind of change. And, uh, you know, I think David Wright interviewed uh, and his team interviewed quite a lot of people and got a lot of uh, a lot of direct messaging, really, about what needed to change. And he's reflected that in his report. I think people have recon- I think people have recognised that. And uh, by and large, I think if you're outside the system, you can see a lot in it. And if you're inside the system, you might be slightly concerned.
0: Yes, uh, I agree with that. Neil, have you been picking up anything from independents out there? Um, Early reaction, of course, but what have they been telling you?
3: One of the things I think that that I found... Uh, judging by the the, uh, the earlier reactions being the interests of independents are they going to be fairly represented in this new system I mean, you know, you, you'll have, as we all know the LPCs will be renamed uh, Community Pharmacy Locations and when they are, it may be a, a, a substantially reduced number of them um, through mergers perhaps, That's something that Professor Wright advocates um, and you can see the sense in that, of course um, but, but who will head up these new, these new uh, CPLs? I mean, you know, the, 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 I think the fear amongst independents is that they could be largely headed up by, by CCA um, representatives. And if they are, um, that, that poses obvious uh, problems for, for, for independents. So I think that strikes, at the, from what I've gauged so far, that strikes at the heart of what independents are concerned about. And, I, and you mentioned Mike Hubertson; there, he was very vocal on Twitter, and he raised several good points. Um, and he does say as you said he, it's not idea, it's not an ideal um, thing to build a uh, system around lPC chairs um, I think reading between the lines i think his fear there is um, that, that if they are if those cCA, uh, CCA uh, members are chairing those new entities, i think that won't be very good potentially for LPC, for independence uh, um you know, scrapping the PSNC committee and replacing it with a CPE council made up of LPC chairs again that seems to be a good idea on the face of it. Uh, it brings LPC chairs closer to the middle and gives them gives contractors a voice, which is obviously uh, hugely important. Um, but again, as Hewitson says, you know, it, it, an indirectly elected council doesn't feel like it would be more accountable. Um, and you can you, you know you can you can you can understand where he's coming from really. And 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 I think the, the, the two LPC. Um, um uh, secretaries or, or, or chiefs i've spoken to have had, I've, I've pretty much agree with that they concur with those with those sentiments um you know if, if the council if the committee is made up of lpc chairs fine but again are the majority of those chairs going to be cca that doesn't really bode well for independence
2: yeah i mean there's clearly a battle to be had but there's you know i think if you you think the majority of the chairs are going to end up to being cca then you're almost throwing in the towel before you've started And let's face it, over the last God knows how many years, uh, representative democracy has delivered us elections where nobody has stood apart from the person who's won. And even when people have stood, you know, what proportion of other, other people actually vote? So we've got an imperfect democracy as it is now, which has meant that some people have been on the PSNC since Adam was a lad. And... At least if you have something a little bit more local, then if you look at how the GPs do it, they have proper discussions. They have proper elections. They have people standing up and having to justify why they want to be part of this. Yes, you know, the whole system is currently imperfect. uh, But are either PSNC or LPCs currently taken as a whole fit for purpose? They're certainly not a democracy. Or if they are a democracy, then it's a really, really weird one. Five elections for out of thirteen last time round. That's not. That's not engaging. You know, people even aren't even forced to create a statement that says this is what I believe in and this is what I want. If you if you flow that through the whole system, even for including LPC chairs, then I I have more faith that we're not going to get a takeover. And let's face it, if you look at all our magazines, when we have people writing indep- writing columns. Who do we use? We don't have too many columns written by CCA managers, even though we might possibly try to get them. We just don't. The people with opinions, the people who are innovating, the people who want to move this thing forward, by and large, sit in the independent camp. And I speak as somebody who worked for multiples for a very, very long time.
0: Yeah, I think I'd agree. This is... This is for contractors and independent contractors to, to pick up and run with, isn't it? It's about being um, involved and, and making sure you have a voice. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with some honest debate locally. I think Rob's right. The trouble is there's, a, there's almost like a democratic deficit at most LPCs at the moment. Many, many of them aren't fit for purpose. And I think it, if, this is in, if this is going to work for contractors, then contractors have to mobilise to get involved. I do take your point, Neil. I think there are capability and... And kind of quality issues surrounding LPC chairs and the type of person that that is going to be an LPC chair in this in this new kind of setup. But then there are things that have to have to be worked through as we go forward with these with these uh, reforms.
2: So there's one other thing. It's really nice to hear earlier from Helena uh, telling us about the experience from support staff, um, because we've only heard that from pharma- we've heard that from pharmacists. You know that. When there was a huge fury about the bank holiday, we had pharmacists saying to us, do you know, I didn't really have to ask the staff to come in because they, they volunteered and said, we'll be there. We need to carry on serving the public. And we've had, I've had instances of pharmacists saying to me, do you know, I've only just found out that one of my staff has got a really serious health issue, but she knew that we were all relying on each other as a team. So she didn't want to tell me. So it, it's nice of that. So to come back to the, to the whole representative point, there are some LPCs still around that don't, don't allow people who aren't pharmacists to be on them. And yet there are lots more people who've got a stake in the future and the you know the success of community pharmacy. So, you know, I think there's a point to be made there. You know, if a re-energizing and an opportunity, because there was other things in there from David Wright saying, you know, there's no reason why LPCs need to be restricted in terms of their membership, then I'm all for that.
0: So now it's time for good week, bad week, and let's start off with bad week. Uh, Helena, who's had a a bad week for you?
1: Well, I have to say it's been a bad week for for quite a few people that I know. Um, So I'm having to watch from a distance as someone that I care deeply about is dealing with a close family bereavement. Um, I think grief is difficult at any time, but in the time of COVID-19, it just feels very cruel um there's always that feeling of helplessness in this situation but i think it's amplified given the current lockdown restrictions when all you want to do is help and be there for someone but you can't in the way that you ordinarily would Um, and i know so many other people will be coping with similar feelings at the minute whether it's loved ones or customers and patients known through pharmacy Um, and it's just really hard
0: oh hell yeah that's uh that's tough that's tough to hear and i i agree with you of course um rob who's had a, a bad week for you
2: well i think you mentioned it really richard uh i you know i think that the while the agm was great in having the, the royal Pharmacy society's agm was great in having 100 and odd people on on i don't think those numbers are terribly great and um i think that that's something that as pharmacists who are members of the rps we need to do some thinking about really clearly the organization is not attracting support and if it's planning further reduces it reductions in numbers of members given that there are an extra two and a half thousand pharmacists joining the register every year then that's not that's not great is it you know so I'm um, in amongst all of the plaudits quite rightly that they receive for their covid responses I think that that's a that's a worrying sign that uh, that needs some needs some serious thinking and some work.
0: Yeah, those uh, those financials and membership figures uh, weren't at all encouraging, uh, were they? Um, Neil, who's had a, a bad week for you?
3: Well, this is a, a tough one. I think it's two front runners for this one, Richard. It's either Boris Johnson or or Robert Jenrick. Uh, i take your pick, really. Um, obviously, Robert Jenrick's the pressure's building on him to resign as housing secretary. Revelations that. Uh, He's uh, some kind of improper, allegedly improper relationship uh, with Richard Desmond, of course, Um, the Precious Building. I think Robert jenrick has been a bit of a disaster all the way through this pandemic, like most government ministers, to be honest. So um, I don't think anybody will be too sorry to see the back of him. Um, And then, of course, the the PM himself is um, uh, running him close. I think, uh, you know, where do you start with Boris Johnson? And The Guardian ran a headline which which caught my eye um, uh, this week, which was Boris Johnson wants Britain to go to the pub and forget about 65,700 dead. Um, which I thought was quite a, a cutting, uh, very, very uh, brutal headline. But I, you know, why on earth are we, are, are we, are we relaxing the lockdown a bit too soon? I think there's an argument to say, I think, possibly yes. I don't think Boris knows what he's doing, to be honest. I, I think you look at Germany, uh, there's, a, there's a resurgence in the disease there. Um, and then we had Boris Johnson saying that no country has a, has a functioning COVID tracing app. Well, that's debatable as well. Uh, We know we don't. Um, So, uh, you know, I'm not sure who's had a worse week. It's either Boris or or Mr. Generic, but um, we'll leave our readers listless to to take their pick, really.
0: Uh, For me, it's been a a bad week for those who are um, manning the ramparts, I suppose, against the growth of online pharmacy. We reported this week that um, some 3.8 million Amazon shoppers bought pharmaceutical products online for the first time. During lockdown, now uh, the data wasn't um, wasn't all that clear. It could be some of those sales were actually um, from pharmacies via Amazon. But regardless, uh, it seems to me that COVID and lockdown has has changed the way that society operates and accesses things in in all sorts of ways. So this didn't seem like. Uh, welcome news for, for good old bricks and mortar pharmacies. So uh, a bad week for traditional pharmacy maybe. Having said that, um, we, did also, we also did a story on uh, some pan-European research from Stada, which is the German parent company of Thornton and Ross. Uh, and that revealed that four out of five people still prefer to get their medicines from local pharmacies uh, rather than the internet. So uh, you pays your money and takes the survey results that, that suit you, I guess. So last week I chatted to Oxfordshire pharmacy owner Stuart Gale. As I said at the top of the pod, Stuart runs a small family-owned group of pharmacies in Oxford and the surrounding area, and an online business too. And he's well known uh, for being a passionate advocate of community pharmacy, regularly appearing in in the local press and on local radio. A very strong critic of the pharmacy cuts the COVID-19 outbreak brought things to a head in his business and he had to take the extremely tough and difficult decision to close one of his branches because he could no longer make it viable or operate safely due to a loss of service income. And this is what he had to say. So thanks, Stuart, uh, for coming on to the pod. To start off, tell us a little bit about your business.
4: Okay, so... um... My business uh, is based in uh, Oxfordshire. We've got uh, Frost Pharmacy in Banbury and Marston and Northway Pharmacies in Oxford, and we also run Oxford Online Pharmacy, which is an internet-only pharmacy.
0: Yes, I know. I know Oxford quite well. I did my pre-reg in uh, in Banbury actually many years ago. So a lovely part of the world. But what was your experience? of the, the COVID crisis when it first struck, especially, how did you cope?
4: Well, I mean, the the, the first thing is, 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 is was looking at our business continuity planning and how on earth we're going to cope. We had, none of us had any idea of what was actually going to happen. So we were planning to keep three branches open, then two branches open, then two branches part time. Um, but as it happens, we've managed to keep all three open. Um, and um, the online pharmacy split into two teams, so that we we never met. We could ask each other. So it's quite a lot of planning to start with, and just not knowing what we're going to go through. And then, of course, the the, the kind of tsunami of prescriptions, you know, in in March and April. You know, it was it was um, it was all hands on deck basically, just to try and cope with the increase in volume, uh, the increase in phone calls, the decrease in stock uh the, the sickness so it's it's been it's been it's been quite an experience and um i have to say that the pharmacy teams that uh, my teams and i i think pretty much all, all the teams have just absolutely you know pulled it all out and and uh kept going quite remarkably really
0: yeah i think pharmacy teams have been the, the unsung heroes of this crisis did you were they having to work longer hours and and, and things to cope with the the added demand
4: yeah, I think they've been they have been working longer hours, um, um, early mornings, late nights. I've certainly could because we've kind of isolated ourselves. I've been in you know at seven in the morning until until they open, and um, and then after they've closed. And um, obviously, you know, we have to we do all the bank holidays. And um, yeah, it's been it's been it's been pretty full on. I and mean, people's mothers have been in submitting prescriptions and things like that, just trying to keep up
0: now you of course had to take a, a very tough decision during the crisis to to close one of your your branches um northway pharmacy obviously can't have been an easy decision why did you have to make that decision
4: um yeah that was a tough a tough one um because it's it's a great little pharmacy uh it's not uh, it's not you know it's busy um but w- with the cuts it was it was already teetering on the edge um we we cut the opening hours we cut the staff um but when when the crisis hit um the thing that the thing that was supporting us was really the the private um travel um income uh plus the you know a, a small bit of income from other services we could offer but without that income um you know the, the the pharmacy was already on its knees, and we just felt we couldn't we couldn't continue to operate the business safely uh for the staff because I think it was just too much pressure and um it just it just wasn't it wasn't the right thing to do for the patients either because it it just felt it was just it was just too close to the bone and in actual fact um by merging the two shops we felt it was it was something we could do to preserve the service for the local community we could still continue to do what we were doing albeit from one place which is a little bit more difficult for some people but we felt that it was a it it was protecting everyone's jobs as opposed to um you know leaving it go longer and you know complete failure
0: and how did you communicate all of that to, to patients
4: um so um Obviously, we did the cons- consultation with the staff, which wasn't easy because I wasn't able to go in and meet them, which was a real shame because it's obviously a big deal. Uh, then patients, um, we've had, we've had to, we've written to all the doctors, we've 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 put a press release in the papers, we've done leafleting and uh, posters on the on the on the window. Uh, you know, that's a that's a, it's really quite a upsetting situation that because we, we normally we we sell ourselves on positive messages. This has obviously been a a fairly negative message, albeit, you know, we are, you know, keeping going and no one's losing their jobs.
0: A oh, very difficult situation, Stuart, um, you know, sympathies there, very tough decision you had to make. I mean, it sounds like the, the COVID crisis kind of precipitated something there. The, um, and I guess that leads us on to, to the pharmacy cuts. And um, you've been a very vocal um, critic of the cuts. I remember you spoke about it way back in 2016 when it happened um i guess the fear is that that your pharmacy won't be the last last casualty of this crisis um what would you have to say to that
4: well i can't imagine we will be the last one um i think the thing the thing with the cuts is that, that people will understand this is that you know it, to start with, it it was a six percent cut. But there's in to my mind, there is no way it's just six percent. It feels way bigger than that. And also, it's six percent off the top in terms of funding, but that six percent is a much, much bigger percentage of your of your of your bottom line profit. In actual fact, it's completely wiped it all out and, and pushed people into a loss-making position. So it, it, it won't be the last. Um I think the coronavirus will have casualties. Um Pharmacy is is has always survived. It's, it's been, ever since I've been a pharmacist. Pharmacy's been under pressure, and um, there've been gradual cuts and productivity increases. But actually, this cut, this is the one that has broken pharmacy, and it's broken. Um, so that I I think there will be way more casualties. Um, and it's not just business failures. It's it's, it's, it's patients' well-being, patients' safety. You know, the, the, the more you cut, um, the, the less safe it's going to be because people are under too much pressure. And I, I, I think my, my, my message is it's broken. Yeah, what would you say
0: to, to NHS England if you were sitting opposite the, the senior managers there at the moment?
4: Well, the, I've been a pharmacist a long time. And pharmacy has always been on the brink of being recognised. And during this crisis, you have seen that there are pharmacies and pharmacists and trained pharmacy staff all over the country with premises open, helping people. So you've got a network of health professionals on the high street, in the community, in the villages, all ready to um, adopt meaningful roles for the health of this country the premises are already there it's 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 they're open for business and open for opportunity to provide new services for the health of the country they're so well placed to provide these things but but if, if you don't fund it it, it, it can't happen but it, it's it's there ready to be used and as
0: we see during the covid crisis can rise to the occasion i mean was the front door uh, for primary care wasn't it as when the gps um, retired into their consultation rooms uh, perfectly correctly they're just trying to to operate safely but it left uh, community pharmacy very very vulnerable and they rose to the challenge didn't they?
4: Yeah absolutely I mean from my experience my pharmacy teams um, have been incredible uh, the the the, um, the way they've responded to the to the crisis you know the busiest month ever um, with 20, 30%, fewer staff. The pharmacy has demonstrated it's 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 up for the up for the job. But you know, there's only so long that you can work, you know, at maximum capacity before it before it goes wrong. Um, but yeah, pharmacy is very much up for the challenge, unbelievably, really, after everything that's been thrown at them. But yes, they are. They're still proven, they're still there, they're still open for business, still operating. Um, but yeah, at some stage that has to be recognised and and remunerated because um, you know there's only so long you can continue on on goodwill.
0: Well, Stuart, that's that's brilliant. Thank you for talking to us. That that's a, a positive way to to end the interview, I think, but also a, a message there for the government that they would be wise to take heed of. Thank you very much for Stuart, uh, Stuart for joining us on the pod.
4: That's a pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs>
0: So that was a very powerful interview, I thought. Thanks so much to Stuart for coming onto the pod to talk about the impact of COVID and and the cuts on his business. It couldn't have been an easy thing to do. His message to the government was stark, wasn't it? That that his business that he sadly had to close uh, won't be the last casualty. And he said, actually used the words, pharmacy is broken. And the more you cut, the less safe the service will be because pharmacists and their teams are simply under too much pressure. So pharmacy has shown what it can do during the COVID crisis beyond any measure of a doubt, hasn't it? But it can't fulfil its vast potential without proper funding. So now it's time for Good Week, and I'll kick off here. For me, it's been a, a very good week for all of, us who, all of us who believe in inclusion and diversity with the publication of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society's long-awaited strategy on inclusion and diversity in the pharmacy profession. Uh, it outlines three priorities to create a culture of belonging, to champion exclusive and authentic leadership, and to challenge inclusion and diversity barriers. Now, We've all seen the disproportionate impact that COVID has had on BAME communities. And each one of us is having to do some really serious thinking about all of this at the moment. So this is about the society setting out its stall in in tackling discrimination and addressing prejudice in the profession. Now, you could argue uh, legitimately, I think, that this is all a bit too late or it, it doesn't go far enough. And the, the Black Pharmacists Association made the point that strategies won't work if we don't change the way we do things. And pharmacy professionals and everyone in the, the pharmacy family, I think, need to look at themselves in the mirror and ask some, some hard questions. But I think this represents a good starting point and the society should be applauded for taking this issue so seriously. Uh, we all need to embrace this and celebrate our diversity and commit to tackling discrimination and inequality wherever we see it. So a good week for inclusion and diversity within pharmacy. Um, Helena, who's had a good week for you?
1: Um, So over the last week or so, I've definitely had the reminder that there's good in the world, as well as the pressure and stress and pain that everyone's dealing with right now in various different guises. Um, But for me personally, I've been reading and collating all of the recognition of excellence award entries, which is a record year in terms of numbers. So that's brilliant. Um, Every year, I wonder if it's possible to meet the standard of the previous year um, because it's always so high. And every year I'm blown away by the stories. Um, This year, the standard has been hit and then some. Um, So what's been achieved over the last 12 months in community pharmacy in independence and in multiples um, by individuals and by teams and all across the UK and all the home nations. Um, it's just really inspiring and so humbling. It makes me very proud and we always use the phrase of going above and beyond and it might sound cheesy but it really is the case um, especially since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and we're able to showcase that in particular with our new COVID-19 hero category. Um, incidentally, that category is still open for entries and nominations. A um, bit of a shameless plug there. Um, but we really want to celebrate as many of those achievements as possible. So, um, yeah, I've had the sneak preview and I can't wait to share all of the amazing stories with everyone else in a few months' time.
0: Ah, oh, that sounds really good. It's always one of my, my favourite events of the year and I love reading the build up to it and all the stories of, of fantastic work that that pharmacy support staff do it's called recognition, recognition of excellence it's a real celebration of excellence too isn't it and uh, I know this year has been a, a difficult one in terms of organizing uh, the awards but you know we we we're, we're doing it our own way and we will it's good to see that uh, there's been so much interest in terms of support staff sending in their, their examples of good work. And, you know, we will definitely celebrate and recognise them when the, when the time comes. So that's really good, Helena. Well done for that. Um Rob, who's had a good week for you this week?
2: I think it's been a good week for Pavilion Pharmacy in South London, who hosted NHS England chief Simon Stevens earlier yes, this indeed. week. Uh, so um, Mr Stevens has received his fair share of... Uh, brickbats about his uh attitude to pharmacy but he was in a pharmacy celebrating a more than three hundred thousand community pharmacist consultation service referrals since the service was launched and uh uh, i'm not sure why they picked pavilion pharmacy in south london but i'm sure that superintendent pharmacist martin Uh uhalek uh had a good chat with mr stevens and made all the right sort of points um and i suppose it's a sign that um If anything, you know, the world is going on as well as the whole COVID thing. Uh, A third of a million we're at now of CPCS referrals and that's a a fascinating number at this stage. And with the news that Scotland is gearing up for its own pharmacy first service again, paused while we've been through the pandemic, uh, it all adds to the picture of things getting back to some kind of normal. Uh, so, yeah, good week for Pavilion Pharmacy in South London. Well done.
0: Yeah, good week indeed. And 300,000 referrals is, uh, is, you know, a good stepping stone, actually. It's, it's funny, isn't it? The, the CPCS has, has almost faded into the background in terms of press coverage anyway. But it's good to see that pharmacists have been carrying on delivering that that important service, even during the height of the COVID crisis. So, yeah, uh, good week there. And good to see Simon Stevens out on the pharmacy beat as well. Uh, Neil, um, who's had a good week for you?
3: Good week for me? Uh, I would say that um, it has to be a Liverpool Football Club uh, because um, we've we nearly sealed the, t- the title this, uh, this week and uh, two points from uh, absolute heaven. I'm, I'm sure Liverpool fans all over London and Essex are with me on that one and uh, I have to mention that, sorry. Um, but um, no, pharmacy related, I think Thorin Govind uh, and Andre Young Um, uh, elected to the RPS Assembly, two bright young things. Uh, I think it's what the RPS needed, the RPS Assembly, fresh young blood. Um, Obviously we've seen uh, some of their more familiar faces having to step down from that uh, that, uh, particular part of the uh, organisation. But no, uh, all credit, Thorin's uh, a fantastic young pharmacist. I believe she did a law degree as well. Uh, a, a very bright young lady, um, and Andre Young, who's, who's, who's trying to make a, a, a mark and trying to establish himself. And um, best of luck to both of them. I hope they they both take the assembly onwards. It can only be a good thing. Note to
0: listeners: This was recorded before Liverpool clinched the title, which is just as well for you because he would have been unbearable. Yes, indeed. Uh, good luck. Good luck to them. And yeah, maybe a. Uh, uh, a slight change of direction, perhaps, for the society, or at least a, a change of personnel, personnel to give it some fresh impetus going forward. So thanks for that, Neil. Before we go into any other business, Neil, you wanted to say something about the Independent Pharmacy Awards.
3: Yeah, absolutely, Richard. Yes, we have uh, at the House of Commons every year. Of course, we, we hold our event uh, to celebrate the achievements of independence all over the, all over the country. Um, and uh, this year, of course, has been uh, remarkably hard for all pharmacists um, with this pandemic, and they've done a brilliant job. And what we want uh, is to tell their story. Um, but a lot of people probably don't know exactly what pharmacists have been going through and, and, and what they've been doing to, to go the extra mile for, for their patients all over the country. They've been doing an absolutely... Uh, a fantastic job and um, we want them to enter our awards so uh it's at the house of commons what better place to have it uh, it's in october and um, the, the more entries we get the better please please do enter o- online on, on on our website um and uh as i said you know tell you know shout fly, uh, fly the flag for pharmacy be proud and, and tell us what you're doing so enter and the message is really please do enter
0: uh, do, do you have a category that reflects kind of local representative organisations this year as well.
3: Yes, yeah, we do. Yeah, we have a new category this year for uh, uh, Best LPC and the equivalents in Scotland, Wales and, and Northern Ireland um and we want to hear from uh those organizations as well those 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 bodies as well um you know how have they um you know promoted the interests of their contractors uh in their areas it's a crucial time uh for pharmacy particularly now with these reforms these impending reforms we want to know what lpcs have been doing so uh lpc officials anybody working for lpcs chief officers secretaries again please get in touch and enter yeah
0: Thanks, Neil. So get your entries in, please. That seems to be the message. Uh, Been a long pod this week, so I think we'd better close it there. Thanks to Rob, Neil, and especially Helena for adding some much-needed class to proceedings. A quick reminder that the pod is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and all your usual download sites. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. Keep your feedback coming in. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.